Welcome back to I'd Rather Be at the Beach, brought to you by The Bonjour Agency. This is the podcast for school marketing people that's nothing to do with school marketing because, let's face it, you work hard enough already. Now, in each episode, I speak to someone in the sector who won't talk about work, but we get to find out more about them as a person. And in this episode, we're talking to Dragona Hartley. I know, what a great name. Dragona will tell us all about her career, from organising wine tasting to brochure writing while travelling the world. She'll also explore how her responsibilities changed over the course of her life, going from attending meetings to running them. And she'll even tell us about the first time she had to fire someone. Spoiler alert, it didn't go very well. So let's not waste any more time, but instead let's jump into this episode right now with Dragona Hartley. Welcome to this episode of the podcast. How are you today? I'm very well. Thank you, Simon. Lovely day today. I'm sitting in my working from home office where I've been for nearly two years now. <laughs> uh, looking at, I mean, I have been into school, obviously, in the occasional intervening days, but I'm working from home today, looking out of the window into Minchinhampton, which is looking a bit grey and dreech, and keeping my fingers crossed that there isn't going to be a huge storm tomorrow. Okay, well, let's all keep fingers crossed for that. Now, you're at Cheltenham Ladies College. We're not going to talk about work because this is the podcast where we don't talk about work. But how far from school are you? I'm a 40-minute drive away. It doesn't matter which route I take, whether it's the M5, whether it's cross-country, whether it's cross-cross-country, it still takes 40 minutes. And I think 40 minutes is probably a, a, a sweet amount of time in order to have a bit of separation from, from, from work. So you get a bit of, you know, good work-life balance, you know, ignoring the fact that you've been largely at home, like, like a lot of people for the last two years. Do you find that that works well, you know, to have a bit of downtime to think about things in the car? Yes, it does. I mean, it prepares me for the day. If I'm driving to school, it actually prepares me for the day. I don't feel stressed mm. or rushed. I mean, obviously, it depends on the traffic. But most of the time I sit there and think, OK, what is today going to bring what are going to be the good things? What are going to be the things I've got to, you know, work work harder on? So by the time I get to school, I feel pretty relaxed, which is probably better than teachers. Yes, no, of course. Okay, now, Dragona, I've never, ever met anybody who shares your first name. Tell us all, where does that come from? So my father was a wartime refugee from Serbia, and he arrived in this country after the war, um, and his name was Dragan. And I'm his first child, so I was given the feminine version of his name, Dragana. And obviously nobody pronounces like that in, in this country, so I've got used to everybody not rolling the R's and just going, Dragana. Um, and then usually followed by, is it Welsh? And then I sort of look perplexed and say, why? And they go, well, you know, mm -hmm, yeah. dragon. And I think, seriously, you <laughs> think anybody would name their child after a dragon? And then we usually get into actually... You know, it's it's Serbian and it's actually quite a common name in Serbia. Right. Gosh. Now, Serbia is a country I've never been to. Have you have you been there? Have you been there many times at all? I went a lot as a child with my brother and sister, my grandparents, who obviously also left, but were, were you know, being considerably older, found the wrench of leaving Serbia much more difficult than my father. And then, of course, we had the intervening war in the Balkans and I still have a lot of relatives there, but I actually, I haven't been back for about 25 years. Any desires to go back? 
Yeah, I, I, I would. My, my, my son did a, a gap year trip in a van around the Balkans and that sort of reignited that sort of sense of, oh, I need to go back to my roots again soon. So I hope I will. Okay, so quick selfish question I'm going to ask on my behalf in that case. In summertime, I'm going to spend six weeks in Crete. Side story, I get really bad hay fever in the UK and I've discovered that in Greece, I don't think I get hay fever. So I'm going to spend the hay fever season on Crete. Uh, and I'm toying with the idea of driving instead of flying. And if I drive, then it probably means driving through Serbia. Would you recommend driving that route or would you only recommend flying? <laughs> I think I'd recommend flying. I don't know. I don't know if the sort of the driving and the roads have improved from the time. I, I mean, my, my son did sort of Slovenia, Croatia, did a bit of a detour into Serbia and definitely Slovenian, Croatian, much better quality roads. I think as you get towards the bottom end, you know, Macedonia, places like that, I suspect the mm -hmm. investment's not been quite as great as we might want to hope. Okay. So I think if I was you, okay. I'd fly. <laughs> Maybe I'll invest in British Airways in, in that case instead. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm deeply jealous. What, of living, of spending a month in Korea? Yeah, it should be good fun. <laughs> it should be good. Okay, Dragonet, let's take it back to you. Tell us a little bit about your early career before you stepped into the world of school marketing. I'm going to guess that you didn't start off your career in school marketing only because I, not many people tend to. Tell us about no, yours. I'm, I'm actually an old girl of Cheltenham ladies. So I, I was fortunate to have a terrific education, went to uni, thought I wanted to become a lawyer because we had lawyers in, in, in our family and you kind of, if you, you know, lack an idea, you think, oh, I'll do what they did. I can't be that bad at it. Anyway, it, it was definitely a false start for me and I hated it. So I left after uni, finished, finished anything to do with law, did a speedy typing course at that time, which was the sort of early 80s. You could get masses of temp jobs. And I fiddled around sort of doing those kind of things, much to the despair of my father. And, and at last I was offered a proper job and I became the membership secretary of the International Wine and Food Society, which was located in the basement mm. of the Reform Club on Pall Mall. And I worked wow. with the, yeah, I know. <laughs> I, um, I worked with the event secretary and our job was to organise wine tastings, which we did. But that sort of, the two years that I was there are, are a bit of a haze. I don't really remember much about it because we just would, you know, get into the office at about 11, organise another wine tasting, go somewhere, do it. And then, you know, the whole thing just was on repeat. Mm. But actually, at one of those wine tastings, I met a very interesting man who I had, who was a member. So I'd, I'd spoken to him as the membership secretary a couple of times. And he came up to me and said, I think you're wasted, you know, here. And I went, oh, okay. He said, I can offer you, I've got a job for you. And I said, oh, well, you know, what is it? And he was the non-executive director, finance director of a very large tour operator called Intersun, which no longer exists. Okay. But at that period mm -hmm. was a rival to Thompson's, Cosmos, all those, those big package holiday companies. And long story short, I, I, got the job and I spent another two and a half years uh, with what I think is probably another jammy job, which was writing brochure copy for the brochures, which entailed obviously going to visit everywhere 
that you had to write a brochure for. Wow, fantastic. Is there a better job in the world than that? Surely not. (laughs) Honestly, there isn't. So it was lots of free travel, lots of overseas trips. You know, the hotel is 500 yards from the beach. But obviously what you don't say is that you have to go under a railway you know, railway bridge and cross a dual carriageway to get. But it was huge Mm. fun. I learned a lot about, I suppose, sort of, you know, commercial writing. I learned a huge amount about marketing and pricing. And, you know, I mean, it was a real, a real brilliant commercial induction. But I thought there's nowhere for me to go. It was also in Bromley. So I was doing the kind of reverse thing of of leaving London to go to Bromley every day. And I thought, no, I you know, don't want to do this. And one day I was asked to go to an agency which had just been appointed by the chairman to do a bit of advertising for them. And I sort of trolled off to Covent Garden with this mock-up of the front cover of the brochure, went mm-hmm. into this fantastic warehouse-looking place up in a sort of tin can lift opened the door into just the most beautiful working environment I had ever encountered. And I just stood there and I thought, whatever, the, whatever it is they're doing in this building, mm. I'm in. And that was, that was the start of my career in advertising. What was so beautiful about the building? Well, I mean, Covent Garden in those days did not look like it does now. So there, it, was, it was mainly old warehouses, but in, in Earlham Street, most of the if you're looking up to Seven Dials, the left-hand side of the street was old food warehouses and our building was a banana warehouse. But it was full of film companies and small studios and we were right at the top. So it had a kind of built-in mezzanine floor. It was just full of green plants. It was painted white. There were lots of beautiful people lounging who apparently were working. I mean, it looked, it looked nothing like my working day in Bromley. And I knew nothing about advertising. I didn't know how ads were made. I didn't know who made them. I didn't know anything about the process. And I, as I say, I walked in and I thought, I feel at home. I, I need to find out mm. what these people are doing and I need to get myself a job here. So tell me then what that was like. I mean, there you are, you know, right in the heart of London, one of the best cities in the world, in many yeah. ways, the centre of the advertising world as well, certainly for the UK. It, it was. I mean, yeah. you know, how did that feel knowing that you're working in that sort of environment right in the heart, you know, surrounded by essentially in London that, that there, there are people from all walks of life, that there are people who live on the streets, people who are super rich, people who are celebrities. You know, how, how did you find just being in that sort of environment? It was a very exciting time because it was it, it, it was a time when there was a lot of change happening in that quite rightly you say I mean there there were sort of grotty bits of buildings that were falling down at the end of the street round the Mm. corner was the Conrad design studio which was still tiny then but people knew Mm. you know who Conrad was obviously by then he'd you know Habitat had opened but he was getting into design there were wonderful restaurants also just you know round the corner where you 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 realize you know city boys were, were were kind of just starting to come for lunches so it felt very exciting very vibrant there was a sense of you know anybody could do anything it's a small it was a small agency about 40 people but a very eclectic bunch of people who were wonderful to work with and every friday we had a table booked for lunch for the whole agency in in the Indian restaurant at the top of Earlham Street. And basically mm. on a Friday, the agency decamped to there and we got a temp on reception. And whenever there was a phone call for somebody in the agency, 
you know, the guys in the restaurant will come over and go, there's a call for Dragoner. And I go, okay, I'll be there in five minutes. And you just leave the restaurant, run up to the agency, take the call and come back again. And that was every Friday for three years without fail. And obviously nobody went back to the office after that. But, you know, those, those were the days. And what kind of clients were you looking after when you were working there then? So I was very fortunate. One of my biggest clients at the time was London Weekend Television. And LWT mm-hmm. was the weekend franchise for London. Thames Television had the weekday franchise. I mean, even now they sound like a very they sound like very weird things to in terms of construction of, of the industry, but that's how it was. Mm-hmm. And John Burt, who I suspect a few people will know from from his time at the BBC, John John Burt arrived at LWT at the start of 1982. So just basically put a ro- rocket under everything. And our agency was appointed to do program promos so basically what would happen is on a tuesday the programming department in in lwt would decide what what of the weekend programs they wanted to promote and that could be i mean they you know they had eclectic programs it could be you know scylla black on blind date it could be bodie and doyle it could be, you know, Dempsey and Makepeace. I mean, there were hundreds of, of shows and they just decided that what, you know, one of them was going to be it. So we get the brief on Tuesday. You'd have Tuesday and Wednesday morning to write a radio ad. It would go and then they would tell you who you could get to record it. So, of course, we used to say, oh, we want the stars. You know, we want this person to, to do it. And occasionally they could and occasionally you'd have to get somebody, you know, now from Dead Ringers, John Culshaw, and you'd get him in and you'd say, we want you to pretend to be Robbie Coltrane. And he'd go, fine. But more and more, we kept saying, oh, no, it's so much better if we can have the star. And this was just sort of, you know, me and the guy who wrote the commercials, just with this long list of people I want to meet, you know, and and we would then choose. So, you know, I want to meet Trevor Eve, because he's in this lovely thing called Shoesmith and I think he's gorgeous. <laughs> Shoestring, sorry. So so, so we just did a thing for him and he came to the studio and did his first ever voiceover and I kind of sat there like, you know, fangirl person going, hello, yes, is, is that loud enough? Oh, yes, can I get you a coffee? Yeah, I mean, all of those things. So <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> it so didn't feel like work. It really didn't. And again, mm. you know, we had years of doing that, mm. just, as I say, going up the ladder of who is the most famous people, person we could possibly ask to do anything for us. Are you allowed to say who the most famous person is that you, that you did get in? We did desperately, we did try to get Sean Connery. <laughs> and <laughs> and we, we had conversations with his people. But it turned out he was, you know, too busy. So I think, I think they were probably, you know, more considered to be, well, you know, run-of-the-mill, everyday TV stars. But at the mm. time, you know, I mean, I suppose it would be somebody like Robbie Coltrane, you know, who did eventually turn up, who was great fun, and Lenny Henry. So that was, you know, th- those were two, two ticks for us. Awesome. Everybody loves Lenny Henry uh, and Robbie Coltrane, of course. Tell us what it was like then working in a team in, in this kind of environment. Well, I think for, for me, you know, personally, one of the things I discovered is that I am a team worker, a team player. I've spent time, I mean, you know, I'm now in my dotage, so I've spent time both, you know, working as teams, I've done consultancy, I've done freelance work. And my absolute favourite way of working is is a team. And mm. I think the great thing about advertising, as it was then, I mean, it's, you know, all businesses like that have changed a great deal. But at the time, what you had was a group of specialists, 
So you had, you know, you had a creative, you had a planner who was the sort of, you know, con- consumer guru, knew about the research, knew about what the um, target market was thinking. You had a media planner, you had the creatives, and then you had kind of me who was the, the client contact. And everybody brought something different to the same piece of work. And mm. On a good day, it's the most magical, most exciting way of working, I mean, bar, bar none. So for me, you know, being in a team was, was just wonderful. And how about managing people? I mean, how did you find that when you started to manage people, when you started out doing that? It's tricky because, again, because of the times we were in, you, you could be promoted very quickly you know, somebody would, would get fired, they'd turn around and go, oh God, there isn't an account director. Okay, let's promote Dragoner. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I got promoted quite quickly. And I mean, t- two things I remember. My first meeting as an account director without my mm-hmm. lovely boss who had been fired. And I went into a large client meeting, and there were quite a lot of people there. And there was just a kind of pause for a minute. It was like a kind of beat when suddenly I realised everybody was expecting me to start the meeting. And I had never mm. done that. And nobody had said to me, don't forget, today, yesterday you were not in charge. Today you are. Mm. So there was just this sort of terrifying moment of thinking, oh, God, everybody's waiting for me to say something. So there was that kind of very steep, you know, learning curve. And then, you know, there are the awful things you have to do, which was, you know, the first time I had to fire somebody which was mm. just gruesome and and I did it so shockingly badly that <laughs> it turns out that he did not realize despite what I thought was coming out of my mouth quite clearly as this isn't working you have to leave and in those days basically you know you packed up and, and left and and they paid you off that was that was how advertising worked so you know I have the conversation it's friday you know, I think he's taking it in a remark, remarkably sanguine way. So thinking, go away, think it's probably good for everybody. Come back in Monday mm-hmm. morning, I'm walking down the corridor, my boss is waiting at oh, no. my door and says, what the hell is, no names mentioned, still doing in his office? Oh, no. And I just went, no, 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 no. He said, I thought you fired him. I said, but I did. He said, well, clearly not well enough. He said, so go back in there and bloody do it again. And that was just, I I mean, you know, it's seared in my memory 30 years later, absolutely Mm. mortifying. But, you know, really important lesson. I have never done it badly since. You just have to be Mm -hmm. really clear and and trying to Mm. sugarcoat it and say, you know, Mm. things like, maybe this isn't working, which is apparently Mm. the route I had taken thinking he's going right. to get this yeah. and he didn't so and he so didn't gruesome. that must have been a very awkward follow-up conversation with it him. was terrible it was terrible i still mm. it makes me squirm even now dragona tell me about your style of work in the 80s compared to how you work now in 2022 in what ways has it changed it is to a great extent you know prescribed by legislation around behavior I mean, you know, there wasn't an HR department as such. There was finance and payroll. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I can't remember the first agency I had that had an HR department. So I think it was a bit like the Wild West. There there are behaviours now which, um, I mean, 
I suppose if, if they were presented in a court, would probably in some cases result in in prison time. And I've had, you know, violent clients. I've had unbelievably aggressive, you know, exchanges with creative people. I've been told to, you know, get out of the room, never show your face on the floor again, creative floor, Mm -hmm. you know, all of that stuff that just, well, nobody talks to each other like that anymore, really, to a great extent. And it's certainly, I mean, you couldn't find a more indifferent, different environment quite rightly than, than, you know, than a school where mm. you are you are trying to teach the next generation to be you know the best that they can be and that includes the way we treat each other but you know as an example i went once to meet i mean he was a notoriously fiery man who was a client worked for a supermarket mm-hmm. chain and i went with my you know young trainee who was a, a lovely old etonian And I had tried to give him a little bit of a, you know, driving in the car saying, you know, he has this really strange sort of tick is that when he gets angry, he takes his watch off his wrist and sniffs it. Gosh, (laughs) what a a strange thing to do. Just the weirdest thing. Okay. That in itself, I think would be alarming. So I, I said to this guy, you know, don't worry because actually it's now, it's now, it's a bit, it's a bit like a tell in the sense, you know, what's coming. You know, he's now lost it and it's on. So we get Mm. to the meeting room and he's at the other end of a large desk and I'm sitting and and there's some kind of rant. I don't know. We got the price of cheese wrong in an ad. I can't remember, you know, and I'm and I'm trying to say, look, you know, I'm happy to take the blame. That's not the point. I said, but I don't know whose fault it was, but I'm happy to take. And suddenly the kind of the wristwatch came off. And he sat there kind mm-hmm. of waving it and then started to sniff it. And I, under my breath, am going, <laughs> oh, okay, this has not gone as well as I hoped. And the next mm-hmm. minute, he just got up from the chair and advanced down the room towards me, kind of shouting. I mean, really shouting. Really? And I'm, I'm not very tall. I'm five foot three. And I, was, and I stood up too, thinking, okay, well, yeah, I'm going to hold my ground here. And as his his mm. arms sort of went out in a kind of pointy fashion, but could as he could easily, frankly, have been, you know, suddenly from behind me, this rather tall old Etonian stepped in front mm. of me, put his hand up, mm. and said, "Now, now, that is no way to talk to a lady." <laughs> Fantastic! Fantastic! I just thought. Oh my God, I love you. You know, <laughs> you are promoted. And it just utterly diffused the situation. And, you know, we, we we parted okay. And by the time I got back to the agency, he had called the agency to say that he thought he had misbehaved. And actually, when I was in the car, I realised kind of, you know, I, I was shaking. But it was more par for the course than not most most times. And I don't think nowadays anybody would put up with that kind of behaviour. And hopefully people wouldn't actually initiate that behaviour in the first place as well, maybe as a result of the fact that these measures have been put in place to prevent it. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Yeah. I think I think there was just that sense that, you know, advertising was a, you know, and it was in the 80s, you know, creatively it was in its prime. As you say, London was the centre of, of creativity in that area. You know, you had people who became famous directors, you know, Ridley Scott and David Putnam and all those people were started off in advertising. So it, you know, and huge amounts of money were being spent on on films. You know, a million pounds for a commercial was, you know, 
half of the course. So I think that we excused a lot of bad behaviour because we were in this sort of sexy industry. Dragonet, we need to bring this to a close in a minute, sadly, because this has been great fun talking to you. But if anyone's heard anything and wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Is it by email or is it LinkedIn or something else? LinkedIn. I'm happy to absolutely happy to be contacted on LinkedIn. I'm more likely to see it there than my, you know, overflowing inbox. <laughs> okay. And I imagine that there's probably only one Dragonet Hartley on LinkedIn as well. Hopefully, yes. Excellent. Okay, well, let's bring it to a close. Dragoner, thank you so much for being here. It's been so much fun talking to you. Thanks for giving up your time coming to us from home. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. So that was Dragoner Hartley talking to us all about her life and her career. What an adventure of a conversation. A big thank you, Dragoner. I really appreciate your time being on this episode of the podcast. Now, meanwhile, the really interesting thing is that you're still here listening, proving that people listen to podcasts all the way through to the end. To find out more about podcasting in your school for your own marketing purposes, then come visit our website. It's thebonjouragency.com and you can find out more there. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this episode. The next one's coming out soon, so click that option to follow or subscribe and it just means that you won't miss out. We'll see you next time. Bye for now.